Lisa likes the window seat at night, the lights below that tell her she's nearly home. Then there's the lights she can't see, the runway lights we power to bring her plane safely into land. And because at Energia we also power all of Ireland's streetlights, Lisa's taxi home is that bit safer too. And no prizes for guessing who powers her house. Welcome home, Lisa. Energia, the power behind your power. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, you made a big dynasty trade last night. Let's hear about it. I did make a big dynasty trade last night. I thought I was kicking some serious butt, but my Twitter followers are telling me I'm a total idiot. Maybe they're right. We have the right man for the job to analyze it, though. It was a heavy wide receiver deal. Uh, This is what I did. I gave up Amari Cooper, obviously a big hitter. And 1-7, which to me is Kamara. Although the last two fantasy drafts I've been in, Kamara's fallen to like the end of the first round. And I know that's maybe that's a topic for another day, but that shocks me. But I traded those two for 2-9. So I basically went back around and picked up Corey Coleman, Josh Doxson, and Devontae Parker. Matt Harmon, what say you? Oh, well, hey, that's a, quite an introduction to come in on. I'm, know, I'm good, guys. I'm an idiot. I just... I don't think well. We'll get into it, but I'm feeling good. I just I just ate my uh, my post workout meal, which was chickpea pasta. So I'm I'm I got all kinds of energy for this show. So I'm ready to bring oh, it. Boy. Don't oh. give me that face, Ryan. It was re- it's really good. Trust me. I'll convert you guys on that too by the end of the show. But we can start talking about the the wide receivers. Um, so I guess it would. I know Ryan's mantra, and I think you guys talked about this even on your last show, is you know, anything for Amari or or whatever. I, I might be paraphrasing there, but it's something you along those it. lines. Yeah, it's um, a, that's Ryan. That's Ryan. Don't speak for me on that. Matt is evidently the opposite. He, not, maybe nothing for Amari is, is his mantra. I don't know. <laughs> Take Amari, please. Anything to anything to ship him out the door, uh, apparently. Um, so, Matt, I do want to hear your thoughts on the trade, but also throw in there – just your general feeling on Amari Cooper versus Crabtree. The the Cooper haters seem to think, you know, he can't even beat out this, you know, he can't even overtake Michael Crabtree, who's built a pretty good career for himself. That's, you know, that's saying a lot. And then, of course, the Cooper lovers, myself included, say, look at what he's done just in two years. Mm-hmm. He's one of the youngest players in the league, uh, great offense, you know, so so much positive to see in his future. So analyze the trade and the Oakland wide receiver core there. Yeah, I'll start with the Oakland part of the equation. And, you know, it's you're right. It's really hard to argue with the resume of either players at this point through the last two years, that being Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper. With Cooper, he's been incredibly productive, you know, from a year end stat standpoint, it's been really it's been really good. It's easy to look at. Um, he's also super young, you know, yada, yada. As you mentioned, there's a lot to like with Amari Cooper. Um, but it is hard to tell yourself the story of like, okay, well, 
why should we like we expected last year to be the year that he overtook Michael Crabtree in terms of red zone usage in terms of overall targets and and that did not happen so it's kind of hard to then say well this year it will definitely take place it it, it very it very well might be the year that it happens but you know why should we expect it um because Crabtree's really good I mean he was a player that I liked before the year before he got to Oakland and was saying that was a really good signing um so it's good we're starting off the podcast with something I got right um and you know that that turned out to be the case he's been a really good possession trustworthy receiver there uh you know his contested catch rate is one that's really high which is a weak point for Amari Cooper which might be why they don't use him all that much in the red zone you know that's just a theory to that but you know, I don't really see the outlook for either two players changing this year, and they'll be kind of right around each other with Cooper being the more sporadic production, big play type of receiver, whereas Crabtree being the, the high floor, maybe lower ceiling guy. But, you know, going forward, I do think that the future is all bright for Amari Cooper. I mean, there's been nothing thus far to, to really paint him too negatively. Um, and in terms of the trade, it's all like – you know, I think you know exactly what you're going to get from Amari Cooper, which is an ascendant player, um, you know, someone that has already ha- really established a strong role in a in an up and coming offense for three guys really that are, you know, still mysteries. Um, that being Corey Coleman, who is probably the one that I think this year I'm most excited about. Um, I think, and we can talk a lot about Corey Coleman and his reception perception because his was one that. I, I came away with, you know, a lot of question, more questions than answers, and most of them being in regards to his usage. Last year, they used him a lot as a deep threat. He ran more go routes than any other receiver that I charted this past year, and they rarely ever used him in space, which was mystifying to me because, you know, just like he was in college, he was great at breaking tackles as a rookie. Um, he had one of the fewest dropped on first contact percentages when he was running after the catch for me. Um, so I would like to see him kind of be put in better positions this next year. Uh, and hopefully that happens. Cause then I think he could have a, you know, a really breakout campaign. It could be much like Cooper an up and coming player. I'm still not in on Devonte Parker. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's still kind of searching to find that consistency and then the overall volume in the offense, the passing game should be down this year. So that that's my probably least favorite asset of the trade, even though, you know, he is he still could potentially break out this year. But Doxon, I'm really intrigued by uh, that. That's probably the one that that I think makes it an OK deal for me. I mean, I would probably still want the Cooper side, but Doxton is definitely the player that intrigues me the most out of the guys that you got. So, Matt, I guess share kind of your reasoning behind making that deal. Well, it's funny. I'm not a Cooper hater, contrary to popular belief. And in fact, I've made three dynasty deals involving him in the last month or two. And. Two of them, I shipped them out, including last night, and one of them, I brought him in. And basically, all the deals were an early first and two late firsts for him, you know, give or take. I mean, that seems like the going rate. To me, I look at Coleman and Doxon, and I don't think my opinions changed either way on them. You know, like, I'm not down, more down or up on them, maybe up, if anything, than it was one year ago. All these reports on Parker are, have me a little leery, but they're all very, very positive. And it sounds like he's growing up. I like the offense he's in. Landry could be gone next year. Uh, how much can you invest in the wide receiver position? So, I mean, I didn't love that we swapped picks. I mean, I, that's probably the part I have a feeling Ryan's going to be like, and, and then you were nice enough to throw him a first-round pick. Mm. Um, but I don't love 1-7. And, you know, if, if it would have been 1-6, I wouldn't have done the deal, or certainly 1-5. 
Um, I like Cooper, but I don't think it's that far-fetched to think that one of these guys could be Amari Cooper a year from now. Young, stud, and I'm not sure that he's at the Mike Evans um, surefire you know, number one receiver level, partially because of Crabtree. And every year at the at the end of the season, he's really dropped. I mean, I don't know that he's he doesn't seem to hold up well throughout the year. So if I can if I can do just jump in right there on that point, I don't know that if like at this point it's hard for me to tell myself the story of how like things all come together for Amari Cooper to make him like a year in, year out Julio Jones like top five fantasy wide receiver, even right. though I really love him as a player. And I mean, you know, right. especially because I'm a guy that charts separation, like obviously he comes out really well in all of my uh, methods. Um, I think he, yeah, he has at least an average success rate versus coverage score on every single route on the route tree for me. Um, but at the same time, you know, they, they, he does not seem to be at least this point in his career, the type of receiver that, you know, you funnel 180 targets at like an Antonio Brown type. And, and I believe in dynasty and Ryan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He still kind of goes as like, that is something he's eventually going to hit or like, that's the assumption. But you know, that to me, I don't know that we've seen a lot of evidence in his first two years that that's eventually going to be the case, but you know, things could all come together that that might happen. But um, I kind of get why Matt would be skeptical of that at this point. Yeah. So just speaking from a dynasty perspective and uh, Matt, I'll definitely leave the wide receiver analysis to you. You're the expert. I know you like that term. You're the expert when it comes to wide receivers. Um, (laughs) But from a dynasty perspective, to me, you're right. Cooper is still being drafted as certainly as a first rounder, kind of that mid to late first, I guess is, is kind of his ceiling. If you're talking about a startup, so the, the receivers you brought in there, Matt, Parker, Dotson, and Coleman, I think all of those guys are essentially worth the 1.07 individually. So if you want to say that... See, I would rather 1.07 than all those guys by far. Or I'd rather have all those guys by far than 1.07. Okay, yeah, I agree. Well, that's fair, and, and that's an argument to make. But, I mean, I think the va- where the value is, is they're, they're in that 1.6, 1.7, 1.8 range. Uh, individually Coleman may be a little higher with his recent draft pedigree you know he was one what one three one four last year so he's still carrying a little bit more of the value than than the other two I think right now so if you know if you say one seven is Parker and then you look at the deal as Cooper for Dotson Coleman and the two nine I don't even I don't even have a problem selling Cooper uh, especially based on some of the things that that Matt is saying, I, I just don't think you got enough. I think if you're selling one of those guys who's being valued as an elite dynasty player, you've got to get one back in return. So I think I would have liked to deal more if you dropped from Amari to like an Allen Robinson or DeAndre Hopkins and then got one of those other pieces as well. All good points, but the thing I disagree with you on is – to me, Coleman, Doxon, and Parker are all worth way more than one seven. Especially Parker. Parker to me is the one I like the most. I think he's the most valuable. And I think he's more like a one three-ish. All right. Well, we'll we'll move on a little bit from that deal. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll see how it works out. Uh, we'll we'll know more really this time next year, I guess. We'll we'll know how that deal went for you, Matt. Um but we are glad to have Matt Harmon on today, Matt. We just kind of jumped into the fire here, but let's let's take a step back. We do have Matt Harmon of uh, from the NFL.com, NFL Fantasy, 
and also doing some work for the fantasy footballers. Matt, tell us a little bit about what you have going on there. Yeah, really exciting offseason, um, you know, in addition to what I do with NFL.com, really took a big step with uh, Reception Perception, which I've been on your guys' show talking about before. Um, if anybody's not familiar with Reception Perception, it is uh, an in-depth methodology where I chart every single route that a receiver runs over an eight-game sample for NFL players, a six-game sample for college players. And what I do is I not only chart what type of route they run, but how often they got open on each individual route against what type of coverages. Also, there are some ancillary metrics like contested catch conversion rate and breaking tackles after the catch. So really almost anything that you could want to know about the wide receiver position, reception perception will tell you that. And this year I did partner with the fantasy footballers to exclusively feature their, the reception perception analysis in their ultimate draft kit, which as we're recording this, will debut tomorrow on June 1st. It will be live. Uh, and what you're going to get there is 50 and profiles on 50 NFL wide receivers, which was a lot of work. <laughs> that, were, <laughs> that was that was more receivers than I've ever charted in any offseason before. So this has been a big step for not just, you know, me, but also the methodology in general. Also, you get access to 19 rookie profiles and all the data on every college player that I charted this year. So really exciting, uh, really exciting stuff. Um, you can buy that on receptionperception.com. There's a link to not only all the rookie article preview articles I did this year, but also um, it, you can, there's a link there to buy the ultimate draft kit and get access to every piece of reception perception data charted this year on the top 50 wide receivers. And don't worry, I'm going to go back and probably add some more guys. Cause you know, I can't stay away too long. All right. Well, what we want to, um, focus on today, Matt, is just some of these, uh, some of the depth charts. Last week we talked, talked about the running back depth charts and you're the perfect guy to talk wide receiver depth charts today. A lot of those around the NFL look very different than they did at the end of the season. Of course, we've uh, we've had free agency. We've had the recent NFL draft. And some of these wide receiver depth charts look very different than they did back in week 16, week 17. Let's start with the Buffalo Bills. There's there's not much depth there. They lost, uh, they lost their second and third wide receiver. They drafted Zay Jones in the second round. Uh, there's a lot riding on Sammy Watkins staying healthy and Zay Jones developing into an NFL receiver for that team. How do you see the the Buffalo Bills coming? Yeah, the Bills are uh, kind of a tough one to crack right now, just in terms of you know what what's going to go on behind Sammy Watkins. And Watkins is not like a you like someone you can count in. I mean, count on game in and game out, as you mentioned with the injuries. Um, but you know, Watkins, the player, is fantastic and. You know, in terms of fantasy, it's really, really tempting. Like if you see him, if you've gone like even two wide receivers in the first round of your redraft league, and then you see him sitting there in the third round, it's really tempting to get him on board as like a wide receiver three where you're insulated from his downside, but also really exposed to his season long upside. Because like you mentioned, there's just not a lot going on there outside of him. Um, Zay Jones is a prospect. I called him in my rookie write up the most confusing prospect to me because you know, he had a great, obviously just raw production, 158 catches. He was super athletic at the combine, really crushed the senior bowl process by all reports. Um, but when you looked at him as a player, he was really only highly successful for me on the dig, the curl, the slant, and the and uh, and the screen. You know, just that really short to intermediate area. So I do think he can easily slide in as a possession receiver there. But I think if that that passing game would would go in the tank pretty quickly 
uh, you know, in terms of the wide receiver core, because I don't know if Watkins were to get hurt, because I don't know if if much like Robert Woods is is not a player beforehand that you'd want to funnel 120 targets at. I don't think Zay Jones is necessarily that player uh, either. So I, I do think that that Watkins is in a really good position to succeed in the in the last year of his contract now because they didn't pick up his his fifth year option. So this is a this is a pretty big make or break year, I guess, for Watkins. But um, if he does manage to stay healthy, boy, it's really um, it's really tempting. Uh, his upside is really tempting this year. Matt, do you agree that Zay Jones's ceiling is maybe Robert Woods of a year ago, and Sammy's ceiling is the number one receiver overall? I don't know about number one receiver overall for for Sammy Watkins, just because I expect them to be a little rich. Yeah, yeah, just to, just because I expect them to be a really run oriented offense, but. Wouldn't surprise. I do think he has top ten upside. Uh, I definitely think he has wide receiver, like wide receiver one type of upside. But uh, yeah, I just think mostly because of the volume of their passing game in general. I don't know that he has like the top receiver overall upside. But um, Zay Jones definitely. I think he's like in the Jamison Crowder, um, Robert Wood. Robert Woods is such a perfect comparison for him, and I really like Robert Woods as a as a player. But it definitely feels like they might have just gotten like a slightly plus version of Robert Woods when when they drafted Zay Jones, which which is fine. That's there's nothing wrong with that as a second round pick. Um, but I just don't think he has necessarily like I guess you know high end starting caliber uh, in his in his range of outcomes. Matt, I've seen. Jones go as high as the 1.07 pick in rookie drafts. Uh, based on what you're saying, that sounds like you probably think that's a little bit high. Do you see him more as a, a second round rookie pick? That's like it's. I would say it's an it's an analogy I can make from a player that I kind of felt similar about last year in terms of like Tyler Boyd was a guy that I think like you're if you're taking Tyler Boyd or Zay Jones at one seven in a dynasty draft, I think you're just really hitting for like a double. You know, I think you're going to get a player that's not going to flop out of the league. Um, you're they're going into a really easy to to imagine role, and they're good. There's going to be some playing time. There's going to be some targets, but. What are you really getting beyond that? And you can ask yourself that question with plenty of the rookies in that range. But um, yeah, it, to me, it just definitely feels like hitting hitting a double. And I don't know that I'm necessarily super interested in doing that at the seventh, seventh overall pick in a dynasty draft. But Ryan would rather have one seven than Devontae Parker. I would. That's that's Alvin Kamara for me. <laughs> Let's look at the New England Patriots next. Uh, lots of depth there, unlike their uh, division rivals, Buffalo Bills. Um, they brought back Julian Edelman. They still have Chris Hogan, Malcolm Mitchell. And the big move that they made this offseason was acquiring Brandon Cooks. So, Matt, the you know the big question for all Dynasty players is how Cooks is going to work with Tom Brady. Uh, can he continue to, to put up those big numbers, or can they – can they get even bigger potentially? Well, if either of you guys has a story to tell about how they get bigger, I'll gladly let you take that because <laughs> that's a tough sell to me. I mean, he's coming from one of the NFL's past heaviest offenses as a just an overall volume standpoint. That's not going to be the way they play in New England. They will still run the ball. They'll still and there's just a bevy of players to get the ball in that offense. It's hard for me to tell myself a story where Cooks' volume increases. And generally, I'm not going to make the argument that he's going to be more, like so much more efficient with Tom Brady than he was with Drew Brees that I really see this as any sort of upgrade for him in terms of fantasy. Like, And, and I think Cooks is, is exactly who he, he always has been. And that's a 
volatile player week to week. Um, and I think just the fact that now he's going to an offense with even more options, I think that only increases his likelihood of being volatile week to week. Um, I've maintained pretty much throughout his career, and I still maintain that Brandon Cooks is a little bit overrated as a player in terms of like, I don't think he is a, you know, from an NFL perspective, like real life football perspective, a number one type of receiver that, you know, does things in the way that an Odell Beckham or even a lesser tier player than that. I think he is like a really great. I mean, he's one of the best vertical threats in the NFL, but now he's going to an offense that isn't really vertical based. And I know the immediate temptation will be that, all right, well, this just is going to put Edelman into the trash can. But, uh, and I think that this might be the nearing the end of Edelman's time with the Patriots because, you know, I think Williamson's done a great job throughout his time in, in the in the business talking about how these slot receivers, you know, they get pounded by big players. They don't just get bumped by little cornerbacks. And like when it goes, it tends to go real quickly for them. And you could already kind of see that with Edelman last year, but he's still a really good player. And like, I don't want to be the one to bet on like this year being the year that that mind meld between he and Brady just completely erases. So I think Cooks is going to be a productive player in New England. I think Cooks is going to, He's going to fit in well, and maybe he eventually transitions into that slot receiver role after Edelman's contract expires this year. But you know, for 2017, it's just a nightmare to try to predict like how this is all going to come out from a fantasy standpoint. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And not to mention, we didn't even mention, oh, they got this Gronkowski character that catches right. a lot of touchdowns, and he's healthy, and Allen's in the mix, and they have four receiving backs, and James White is really just a wide receiver that happens to have an RB by his name. Um, my my only thoughts, though, and I, I agree with you. I don't think that you can predict this or think that his stock went up. But the Patriots are smart. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. draft. They have a plan in place for this guy. They didn't give up a first-round pick for him. Oh, just because we kind of like him, we'll figure out what to do with him. They have a plan in place. And I wonder if he's going to get a lot of short throws that he didn't get in New Orleans. I would agree with that. And that I really liked the trade from an NFL perspective, like even though I, which is, you know, maybe confusing for people because I've never been that big of a Brandon Cooks fan, but I think he's like the ultimate role player, you know, the ultimate uh, like, and that's not a, that's not a pejorative term when I use role player. Like I think almost every NFL player is a role player in some degree, but he's, you know, one of the best in the business. And, I think there's no better team at, at deciding how to use role players than the Patriots. So I really liked the trade yeah. from from their perspective, and I agree with you. There will be a plan in place for him, um, but we also know that the Patriots, much like every NFL team, doesn't care about our fake teams and will therefore n- not necessarily customize or, or cater that plan to being successful for us to predict on a week-to-week basis. Matt, digging a little deeper there in New England – you know, both Chris Hogan, I guess, early in the season, Malcolm Mitchell later in the season last year, got a little bit of hype, a little bit of attention from dynasty players. Uh, which of those guys do you like better long-term? And do you really think either one of them have dynasty value? Uh, well, I love Malcolm Mitchell, the player. I was a big, big Mitchell fan coming out of Georgia last year. And he had a really nice rookie season to me was, uh, you know, useful for them throughout the playoffs, had a couple of big regular season games, especially when Rob Gronkowski went out and they needed more of a, you know, a red zone threat and a big boundary receiver. Like to me, he's one of the guys that you know, I always, when I'm looking at receiver cores, I always kind of try to put everybody into a type and maybe that's the wrong thing to do or, or whatever, but, um, and not types in terms of like how they're built. Like this is a big receiver. This is a small receiver, but I think, 
he's someone that definitely fits a type that they don't really have, you know, in terms of someone that can be a big X receiver, you know, pay, they they had a lot of success with Brandon LaFell, who everybody hates, but they had a they had a lot of success with Brandon LaFell doing that back in um in I believe it was 2014. So, you know, I, I think there's some role for Mitchell to play, especially long term, you know, if Edelman is gone. And, you know, Matt mentioned Grob Gronkowski, and I mean obviously he's I think he's the best tight end to ever play, certainly the best tight end since I've been like a cognizant football fan. But um at this point it is kind of like are we just waiting for the other shoe to drop with Gronk every year? And could he be kind of one of those stars that burns real bright for a, a while, but doesn't burn very long. So, you know, the Patriots will be interesting to talk about in like three years from now in terms of their pass catching core. And I think Mitchell could still be a valuable player for them because he's, he's young. He's he, and he fits something that they don't really have. So he's the guy I like uh, long-term obviously, but I'm a big fan of his as a player. Do you see much difference between just in a vacuum Mitchell and Michael Thomas? Uh, I guess no. I mean, I, I think they're similar types of, yeah. of receivers, definitely. And, you know, they're both big like big guys with good hands that, that get open, that, that are better at creating separation than you would normally think from a big wide receiver. But, but I, I mean, Michael, I have such a high opinion of Michael Thomas after his rookie year and, yeah. and charting him, which, you know, shouldn't be a hot take. But um, I think – the sky's really the limit for him, but we, you know, we can maybe touch on him later. Let's stay in the AFC East and look at the Jets. This one, this one might be the yeah. most con- most confusing situation in the league, and in some ways, I'm not sure we should even bother. But uh, let's let's look at this depth chart. They have Eric Decker, who, uh, depending on the day of the week, is still rumored to be cut, uh, and then they also have Quincy Anunwa, Robbie Anderson couple rookies of note are Darius Stewart, who I like a lot, and Chad Hansen. Matt, we, we pretty much know what Decker is at this point, and he, he's he's going to do what he does for the Jets or, or maybe even hopefully for another team. But uh, the, guy, the guys behind him on the depth chart, uh, who stands out there for you? Yeah, man, it would be real nice to see uh, Eric Decker go to a team like Baltimore. I think I, I keep talking about that, and I think that would be really a perfect spot because he's kind of the – He's like of all these big slot receivers, he's easily far and away the best one in the NFL to me um, when he's right. Um, so hopefully he's he gets well and and even better case scenario is playing for somebody other than the Jets this year. But you know Quincy Noon was a player who's kind of fascinating to me. Like I I charted him for reception perception this year. He's in the ultimate draft kit. Like I mentioned, um, so. He's another guy, though, that like he and Eric Decker kind of play the same position. Like they're both, and obviously he got a lot of time in that big slot receiver role once Decker went down last year. But even when they were both on the field, Anunwa was playing a lot from the interior because Chan Gailey, their former offensive coordinator, really liked to spread the field with multiple receiver sets. And their, I think their new offensive coordinator is the Saints' old wide receiver coach. So maybe we could see more of that spread formation. But at the same time, you know, if Anunwa is playing on the outside and Decker's playing on the inside, that kind of makes me less optimistic about um, Quincy Anunwa. Uh, he fell below the 37th percentile against both man and zone coverage, uh, and also below the seventh percentile when facing press. So he's not somebody that somebody that I believe is someone that can consistently function on the outside. But he's good at making contested catches and you know, is solid on some in-breaking routes and as well as the flat. So uh, he's like someone that I think is a role player, but he could land a ton of opportunity this year because he's the most established player outside of Eric Decker. And in terms of those two rookie receivers, I'm with you that I, I'm, 
I think there are a lot of people that like Ardarius Stewart more than I do, but he's another player that's really good against zone coverage, is good at breaking tackles after the catch. So I can see why he might slide into an early role. So Matt, Decker aside, do you think not this isn't a fancy question? Who's the best wide receiver on the Jets roster fantasy aside, or Decker aside? Do you think it's a Nunwa? I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I right. Know. I mean, okay. you don't yeah, feel strong a, about it, though. No, 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 no. But I mean, Robbie Anderson yeah. showed some things last year, but he was also like, wasn't he arrested uh, or or charged with something? So who knows there? Um, I was a big Devin Smith's fan, so poor, poor one out for him. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, so. It's it's like a yeah I guess I like Anunwa the best but I wouldn't be surprised if my answer has changed by the end of the season and it's Stewart um but I'm not a big Chad Hansen fan either so I think he'll take a lot of time to develop and I don't I don't see him playing a big role this year. Matt, we'll stick kind of in the doldrums of the NFL. Sweet. Cleveland Browns. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about Corey Coleman earlier. Uh, they also signed Kenny Britt, which I still kind of find a, a little bit baffling they've got Rashard Higgins from last year Ricardo Lewis from last year a couple of rookies who didn't get a huge opportunity but could maybe see a boost in 2017 what do you think about the Browns are they heading in the right direction with their when it comes to their receiver core I think they're headed in the right direction overall as a team and that makes me feel better about their offense like I think Deshaun Kaiser has great upside as a quarterback. I think Cody Kessler has a great floor as a quarterback. So either way, I think the 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 behind the center situation is not as dire as people would like to make it out to be uh, this year for the Browns in terms of keeping their weapons productive. The receiver core is fascinating because other than adding Kenny Britt, they did kind of stand pat on those rookies from last year. You know, I talked a lot about Corey Coleman and how I'd like to see his role change. You know, they just it was just all vertical stuff and they just never really gave him any layups. But, you know, if you look at his route chart uh, in, in the ultimate draft kit, which like I said, is something that that everybody should check out. Nobody will be surprised that the only routes that he was super successful at creating separation on as a rookie were like all the routes that he ran at Baylor in terms of the curl, the slant and the screen, and then uh, the dig route. So like, it was just all in that sort of confined space, but it's hard to take too many great takeaways from him as a rookie because, again, you know, kind of was injured off and on. I, I think he could easily be the number one receiver in this offense because Kenny Britt, to me, um, we talked about Devontae Parker earlier, and I think I tweeted this a while ago, that Kenny Britt and Devontae Parker's reception perception looks so similar, and you could take whatever you want from, from, from that statement. But I think Britt's just, you know, he's just, he is who he is at this point. And that does make me intrigued by guys like, Ricardo Lewis, who got on the field because he played some he played some special teams, even when he wasn't super great on offense that that kept him active on the game day roster. And I was a big Richard Higgins fan this time last year, too. So I will I will have my eye on him as well. Yeah, that makes me think uh, that we we should really be looking closely as as dynasty owners at both Higgins and Lewis. Coleman is already hurt again. You know, he's a guy that I've I've been a fan of uh, over the past year or or even beyond that during his time at Baylor but we had the injury last year we've got an injury that reportedly will keep him out until training camp already right now mm-hmm. um so yeah Higgins and Lewis if they're on your w- waiver wire might be a couple players to look at they have Jordan Payton too but I think he has like a four game suspension to start the year or was suspended at some point but Higgins is a great question. I I wrote about him actually on on my website, thebackyardbanter.com last year, um, and talked about how 
he's going to be kind of an important player for for my methodology because you know he was a super productive college player was really successful at Colorado State um but then he just went out and shanked the combine you know he I think he tested in like the fourth percentile in terms of spark athletes um which is obviously bad um I think Zach Whitman who does that stuff he said that like you know that's going to be like he has to beat all the odds to be like an NFL starting caliber wide receiver with that athleticism however you know I think that's what's important about studying tape and charting players and and keeping a law like a a real log of what you see them do on the field because you know in terms of his reception perception at college he he was really a fantastic player he could get open all over the field um he was someone that was you know just a really solid route runner so i think he could get on the field and and if especially if he continues to show that sort of nuance in his technique um i'm like i said i'm going to keep my eye on higgins cuz i think he could potentially be kind of like a, a a flanker wide receiver that that plays a little inside too. Let's move over to Matt's favorite topic, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Outside of uh, outside of Antonio Brown, they really had some wide receiver troubles last year. Of course, the suspension to uh, to Martavis Bryant, Eli Rogers. We saw emerge a little bit, but I I don't know if he's anything more than a role player, as you've said, Matt. So now they're looking at Brown. Bryant is uh, looking like he's going to return if he can meet some qualifications. And they drafted Juju Smith-Schuster, who I kind of know your thoughts on already, Matt. Mm-hmm. And and they still have Rodgers there. So um, it, does this really just come down to Bryant being able to stay clean and stay on the field? I think, yeah, I think it does. Um I wasn't surprised that they took Juju Smith-Schuster in the second round. I mean, I I expected him to take a pass catcher high because, you know, last year, like you mentioned, they really ran out of of wide receivers. You know, Sammy Coates was, had a hand injury and was, was generally being who Sammy Coates has always been. Um, you know, Brian obviously wasn't there. And, like, yeah, they were rely, relying on guys like Eli Rogers, who's, who's fine, and, you know, Kobe Hamilton, who's not fine. So <laughs> they really ran out of playmakers last year. Uh, so it made sense for them to get somebody like Juju in there. I'm really, you know, tepidly excited about Martavis Bryant being back just because, I mean, he's a fantastic player. Um, and the two weakest area, like, and I say weakest, like in, in relative sense, not like they were bad, but the weakest areas of his reception perception back in 2015 were his success rate versus press coverage and success rate on contested catches. And I think the fact that he's added, you know, 10 pounds of muscles up to 225, like that's really exciting because if you think about who Martavis has been, he's he's big and he's you know lanky and he's fast but yeah he's always been that kind of like lanky thinner looking guy and i think if he's even bigger this year he could improve both of those um those metrics going forward which would only make him better so i'm really excited about him him being back and and i do think juju smith schuster as much as i don't think he has like high-end starting upside as an individual player i do think he could be you know, again, I, I double down to that kind of like Tyler Boyd comparison as a guy that was really productive at a young age in college. But even if he does, even if I don't think he has the greatest ceiling based on what I saw as a collegiate player and what I charted, um, I do think he could fill in as a nice role player early on and kind of be that long term for them. Yeah, I think Juju's a guy that they didn't have in the room. You know, like he's not the tall, long, deep threat like a coach or a Bryant much different body type than AB or Eli, you know I mean? So, and I know they really, really liked him. I think they were shocked that he was there at the end of the second round. Um, you mentioned Bryant. I saw him in person last week at minicamp. He looks phenomenal. 
He's saying all the right things. You know, he, he would spend six hours a day in counseling and then he'd go work out like a madman. And he, all he's talking about is being a family man and changing his habits and how important football is to him. We'll see, but it, he's believable in person to talk to. Mm-hmm. And then I just want to mention Coates real quick too. I don't think people realized how bad his hand injury was. I mean, it was mangled. Like His fingers were all different places and he would dress because he was a good special teamer. And he was their top kickoff returner, and he'd run down on kicks and make tackles. But I don't think anybody would catch with his, the hand the way that he was. And his hands weren't great to begin with. Well, that's right. all healed. So, you know, I mean, that first month of the year, he caught a lot of bombs down the sideline. I, I think people are kind of forgot about him, but he still brings some good things to the table. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I've never been – I don't think – I've never been a huge Sammy Coates guy, but I think completely forgetting about him um, – would be wrong because, like you mentioned, if there's one thing Sammy Coates could ill afford to lose, it's any extra ability to catch the ball. Uh, so I do think right. he could potentially fill a role for them going forward. Ryan, I'd like to tell our folks out there about our buddies at Loot Crate, also close to my heart, just like the Steelers. Be the envy of your friends and get 100% exclusive crates at lootcrate.com slash dynastyblueprint and enter our code dynastyblueprint to save a couple bucks off any new subscription. It's already a cheap subscription. June's Loot Crate theme is Alter Ego. Uh, if you're on a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectible, Loot Crate has it. The best surprise you know is coming every month. Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop culture items for less than 20 bucks a month and even cheaper when you use our code. If you're more of a fanatical fashionata, then try Loot Wear. Or if you want to really geek out your pet, try Loot Pets. Monthly wearables, accessories with cult classics, and your favorite franchises is the Loot Wear situation. And if you want to get fancy, get a bigger box with even bigger loot with Loot Crate DX. This offer expires June 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific. And you're going to see guys like from Spider-Man, Transformers, The Hulk, and DC Comics. One lucky subscriber will also win a mega crate of seriously epic proportions. So go to lootcrate.com slash dynasty blueprint and enter our code dynasty blueprint and you'll save a couple bucks off an already cheap subscription. Matt, let's finish up the AFC with the chargers. Now the Los Angeles chargers down in your area. Uh, of course, my, they... my LA chargers. As, as the... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, they've got Keenan Allen, uh, hopefully back from an injury. Tyrell Williams, with a nice breakout season last year, Mike Williams, they drafted uh, in the top 10 and they also have Travis Benjamin, who I think is just being totally forgotten. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't do that. Uh, How do you see the chargers uh, going as far as their, uh, as far as their wide receiver depth chart? Yeah, I think after the Patriots, this is, well, it's very similar in, in the in the way that it's hard to predict how this is going to shape out, and you can kind of talk yourself into a number of different directions. Um, so let's just start with the – well, let's get the obvious out of the way, that Keenan Allen, when he's on the field, is – to me, he's an elite receiver uh, for what he does. Um, he, his reception perceptions obviously was fantastic. Uh, back in 2015, um, you know, he gets open all over the field. Um, he just whips defenders on slants, curls, and, and post routes just – easy separation um which makes him a highly high percentage target for philip rivers he's also great on contested catches too so just a complete guy to me that that when he's 
when he's at his best, he's he's hard to stop. So that's the easy part of the equation. Um, but the rest of the guys are hard to sort out. Uh, so I think people were, were surprised by the Mike Williams pick. Um, and I was initially, but the more I thought about it, and I actually wrote a piece about this uh, for the fantasy footballers, which you can find at receptionperception.com, breaking down all of the first round wide receiver landing spots. And the more I thought about Mike Williams, the more I kind of got it from their perspective, because even though receiver doesn't seem like a need for them with all of these other players and, you know, not to mention they have a running back who's proven he can catch passes. They have two tight ends that, you know, one's a veteran, one's a young guy, but both of them had pretty good years last year. So it just doesn't seem like pass catchers a need. But if you think about Phillip rivers, he's had such great success with Malcolm Floyd uh, over his career. And I think Mike Williams profiles as a very similar player as someone that can get down the field, not with a lot of speed, but can get vertical um, and can win on the boundary in contested situations. And if you look at, you know, Keenan Allen, who's more of an interior in inside breaking wide receiver, you know, Travis Benjamin's a deep threat, but he's someone with a 25% contested catch conversion rate, which is obviously not good. Um, Tyrell Williams, even, even he's a guy who's built as a big wide receiver, but if you look at the way he plays, his best route for me was the slant route. You know, he was just great on those crossers that you could get him in space, and he had a below 50th percentile contested catch conversion rate last year despite his size. So Williams kind of fits a type that they did not have previously. So the more I thought about that, the more I kind of got the pick. But in terms of how to sort these guys out for fantasy for this year and going forward, that's a real chore um, because – you know, as much as we like Tyrell, I like Tyrell Williams. I think his reception perception is really encouraging, and it made me think like, okay, yeah, he can, you know, kind of double down on this breakout season he had in 2016. It doesn't matter what I think. Uh, if the if the front office doesn't think that, if this new coaching staff doesn't think that, they'll try to get their guy, Mike Williams, on the field, and they've kind of already sent us that signal. Um, you mentioned Travis Benjamin, who I don't think we should completely forget about because he was even having kind of a nice season after Keenan Allen went down last year. So I think they go four deep at the wide receiver position, and even you could argue five deep because Dontrell Inman had his moments last year as well too. So this receiver core, all in all, it does make me kind of, you know, I talked about how fantastic Keenan Allen is as a player. Um, I would be kind of shocked if he maintained the pace that he had in 2015 when he was, you know, going to catch 130 passes, see 170 targets. Like I no longer see that really in his range of outcomes with all of these other options there, um, which is no slight to him as a player. But this all does kind of intersect back at Philip Rivers last year, who or this year, I think he could be a really va- great value. I think the Chargers as a as a team could be really successful playing in kind of the NFL's version of a coffee shop down there in Carson in that 27,000-seat uh, stadium. So I'm really excited about that, at least. Matt, I've heard some say that the pick of Mike Williams is a bit of an indictment on Allen, specifically regarding his health, and that, that maybe they won't even push to keep him when he becomes a free agent. What do you think about that? So, well, they... <laughs> let's not forget they just re-signed Keenan Allen to a deal going into last year. So in terms of when he'll be a free agent, it's going to be a little while now. I think they gave him a four-year contract extension, um, which he was smart to rush to take that money, uh, which was good for him. Uh, So I don't think like there's no impending deadline where it becomes easier to project without Keenan Allen, but I can easily, I mean, they know more about his health than, than I do. I know people, you know, myself included have in the past say like his, you know, his hip, injury or that spleen thing he had you know and then the ACL like you could all categorize those as random injuries but I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to injuries so if they're if they feel that way about him it wouldn't completely surprise me um but I also just you know 
like I said about Tyrell Williams, like I think it could easily just be an indictment on on what they think about him. Like I think we'll know a lot more um, about the uh, about the Chargers wide receiver core after the preseason, and that's an easy cop out answer to say. Um, like that's kind of a very dust statement. But I don't think Mike Williams is going to have a big year one either. He's already he's already got like a back injury, so he's missing OTAs in a crowded wide receiver room. Like I said, outside of Keenan Allen, this 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 group is tough to predict. All right, let's move over to the NFC, and I think the NFC East is really just uh, really just confusing when you look at some of these depth charts. Let's start with the Eagles. They made some uh, some big moves to try to improve that wide receiver group from a year ago, adding Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith, retaining Jordan Matthews, who I think has gone in in dynasty circles has gone from being grossly overrated to maybe grossly underrated rated at this point. Uh, and then they also have Doriel Green Beckham, Nelson Aguilar, and they added Mac Hollins. Where, where do we go from here? Can we expect instant production from, from Jeffrey and Tory? And what happens with Jordan Matthews specifically? So I am excited about Alshon Jeffrey landing there from an NFL perspective, because you know, I did a lot of work in addition to all this receiver charting that I'm talking about last in in season for NFL.com. I wrote a lot about the like our next gen stats where we have the tracking pads or we have the tracking chips inside the player's shoulder pads and we get a lot of advanced data out of that. One of my favorites is we track how often a quarterback throws into tight windows where a receiver has less than a yard of separation between them and the cornerback and the, the quarterback just rifles it in anyways. Um, Carson Wentz was in the top 10 in terms of throwing into tight coverage, which you could argue has a lot to do with maybe some bad wide receivers. But at the same time, it also shows he's aggressive and he was pretty aggressive doing so beyond 20 air yards. So we know he's willing to test teams vertically and throw into tight windows, which is exactly the type of quarterback that Alshon Jeffrey needs. He tests, you know, around the 60th to 50th percentile, depending on the success rate versus coverage metric that you're talking about in terms of reception perception. So his separation ability is just good enough, but we know he's great on contested situations. And I think he played with a lot of quarterbacks that being, you know, Brian Hoyer or or even or even this like new, you know, kind of babied down version of Jay Cutler last year or um, Matt Barkley, guys that were kind of programmed not to throw into tight windows. So maybe that's why Jeffrey wasn't the consistent target hog that he'd had been in years past. And I easily think we could see him get get to, you know, play with a much better quarterback fit for him this year. Um, Jordan Matthews, like I kind of I, I like your take on him in terms of he was grossly overrated before as a dynasty asset and now might even be underrated. Um, I think the Eagles could have maybe like a poor man's version of Demarius Thomas is Alshon Jeffrey to Eric Decker is uh, Jordan Matthews going for because they kind of play that those same sort of roles. But Jordan Matthews is the same player he's always been to me in terms of like his actual NFL ability. His reception perception looks almost identical from his uh, rookie to third year in the NFL. The only thing that's different is he had a really low success rate versus press coverage this last year, and that's because he actually played outside and, and faced some press. And I think we kind of know that's just that's just not who he is at this point. I don't know much to add on the Eagles except for Alshon, Torrey, and Matthews are all free agents after the year. You know, so uh, I'm curious how that shakes out. It's just an interesting situation. And just as a side note, if you remember that receiver class of 2014 that, you know, had Odell and Evans and all those guys, all those non-first rounders are hitting free agency this year. Moncrief, Landry, 
you know, it's a really good group. And I'm curious how that's going to shake out just, you know, just as a side note while we're talking receivers. Yeah, those guys are all kind of – and a lot of those players are at, at crossroads in terms of like a John Brown or a Dante yeah. Moncrief. Like they're kind of in years where they're everything's kind of on the plate for them, but they need to actually just take it and eat it. And, and since you mentioned that, I'm actually doing a series uh, on an app called Bumpers where you like just – you record like these short little solo audio podcasts. And actually like if you do a series, it publishes right to iTunes. So um, it's a podcast like essentially profiling all of those 2014 – wide receivers and looking at their reception perception their rookie years all the way to this third year so kind of in in promotion of the ultimate draft kit and all that data coming out this year i actually just tweeted out the link a little while ago to the itunes and so if you just go to itunes you search reception perception the the podcast will will pop up i'm actually hoping to record the first episode tomorrow so yeah i agree with you but it's a great it's a great time to talk about those players because like you said they're all coming up outside of the beckham the evans the even the kelvin benjamin like those guys are all they have their fifth year options picked up but the rest of these guys which there's a ton of players of relevance are all going into their contract years this year and it's a lot of them are at crossroads as well and then of course Watkins is in that group as well and he did he had his fifth year option um I don't know I guess declined is the right term by the bills uh so he will also be uh, potentially a free agent following this year sticking with Philadelphia Matt for one more question Doriel Green Beckham Nelson Aguilar both once uh highly valued dynasty assets, especially in the case of DGB uh, and, and both have just continued to disappoint. Should we have any hope for either of those guys turning it around? Probably not. I think it's over. It's, I think it's over for DGB, but at least there's been some positive buzz about Aguilar out of OTAs, which you could probably just ignore it. Um, But like, like Williamson mentioned, as much as we like their receiver core, looking at them right now in terms of one, two, three, Jeffrey, Matthew, Smith, it, it could look way different a year from now. And if Aguilar does like at least, you know, show he's like competent and like gets some of his confidence back, he might be in line for some sort of a role uh, in his fourth season. But yeah, the answer is probably no, we shouldn't care. All right. What about the Washington Redskins? Um, I think I, I read this correctly that they're the first team to ever lose two thousand yard wide receivers to free agency. That being Deshaun mm-hmm. Jackson and Pierre Garcon. Both of those guys are gone. They brought in Terrell Pryor. Uh, they also have Josh Dotson, who uh, didn't get to play much as a rookie with some injuries. Jamison Crowder continues to develop, and they even signed Brian Quick. He, 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 he makes the list. He made the list. Uh, what do you see from, from Washington? I forgot about Brian quick. And you were like, when you, when you set that up, like, and they even signed, I was like, Oh no. Oh, right. It was Brian quick. Uh, And I've been a big fan of Brian quick in the past, but I think, I think we've all had our Brian quick phase. So that's, um, that's like a rite of passage. Basically, if you're going to be a fantasy writer, you have to, you have to have touted Brian quick uh, a few times here and there. Um, But in terms of Washington's receiver core, so Crowder's the one that I think has the safest projection, the safest outlook, and that's a really positive one to me. He was great last year. His reception perception success rates looks almost identical to Golden Tate, um, and I think he is a similar sort of player um, in that he is mostly an interior slot receiver, but he can also succeed in the short to intermediate area or in the intermediate to deep areas of the field. We did see a Crowder make his handful of big plays. Um, and, and these slot guys are, are funny in reception perception because they all kind of sort of profile 
in the same fashion in the same fashion like you know they're they're not that successful against man or press coverage but their zone success rates are great so um when i see someone with just such a similar sort of a projection or similar sort of success rate there I, I i do take that seriously so i like crowder an awful lot this year kind of regardless of what goes on around him um but prior and Doxon, i think their futures this year are sort of tied together um and we talked about Doxon off top and he's someone that i'm definitely i liked a lot coming out of college and you know i'm still holding out a lot of hope for i don't think there's any reason not to be still hopeful um but if he doesn't you know pick it up right away and, and take on a big role then i think Pryor has great fantasy upside this year. Um, you know, he's obviously a big wide receiver. He's one of the most gifted athletes in the game. His his most impressive route in reception perception was the slant route because I mean, when you're that big and you're that fast, you're tough to cover on that pattern. And they love to draw up those, you know, boot play action passes for Kirk Cousins and then hit Pierre Garçon or hit Deshaun Jackson or hit Jamison Crowder on those in-breaking crossing routes. And I think Pryor could just rack up yards if he's starting and getting a ton of targets on, on that route alone. So, um, But if he falls behind Doxon for whatever reason, like I think Pryor has just such a wide range of outcomes and he has a really high ceiling, but that floor I can also tell myself – a situation where that is scary as well. And I think if Doxon picks it up quickly, they'll, he will obviously be the one that because they invested a first round pick in him and Pryor's only on a one year deal, then he will quickly become the the favorite son. So I think their fates are kind of tied together that being Pryor and Doxon, but um, whichever one ends up in that, you know, top top outside role, I really like. And you kind of see Crowder is just the constant, you know, he's going to get his and same with Jordan Reed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think Crowder's easy to, easy to project, easy to like. Um, and you know, if all breaks, right, I could easily see him much like, you know, like I said about golden Tate earlier, like he could, he could be easily be a 90 catch player and it wouldn't surprise me. I think prior from a dynasty perspective is kind of interesting because all throughout the, the 2016 season, he basically was, was gaining dynasty value as he continued to produce, even with the Browns not looking like the best situation. And we even said on here at one point, I think, Matt, I think we did a mid-season dynasty startup mock, uh, something like that. And mm-hmm. I remember us even saying that prior, if he lands in the right spot as a free agent, could be a second or third round dynasty startup pick. And he he landed in a pretty good spot. You know, I mean, I don't know if we're dismissing that as dynasty owners, but he gets to play with Kirk Cousins instead of whatever is left in Cleveland. Uh, he has the potential, as Matt just said, to be the wide receiver one there and see uh, even more targets than he did last year, uh, possibly. Yet his dynasty value is is dropping just a little bit. So he, to me, he looks like a, a buy in dynasty, although his his value, I think, should be a lot higher than it is. What's he go for? Is he could you can you get him for one ten in that neighborhood? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I'd much rather prior than one seven or later. I think and and maybe I'm off on this. I think any first rounder buys him. Interesting. Wow. I'd be buying it that. I guess people just I guess people just would have wanted to see more of a commitment from the team that he went to because he did only sign a one year deal. And, you know, there's also I don't know if this affects people's perception, but there's always these like whispers that, you know, other people don't like him all that much. And, um, you know, he didn't like get it. I guess he just wasn't met with as much fanfare as people wanted on the open market. But even if prior, you know, isn't going to return to Washington or whatever, I would imagine at some point during the season, you could then turn around and flip him again uh, in, in dynasty, which is, which is attractive too. 
I don't know the Cousins returns to Washington either. Yeah, that's true. Let's look next at the Carolina Panthers, Matt. And this this is a this is another <laughs> tricky one. Uh, they've got a couple players who kind of look a lot alike with. Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches, both disappointed last year. Funches is really has really never got it together in his short NFL career. And then they bring in Curtis Samuel. They bring in Christian McCaffrey with their first two picks in the NFL draft. And it looks like a team that wants to flip their offense around. Just what do you see with this? And and is uh, how Samuel going to be as a wide receiver there? Uh, the Samuel question is tough. Um, I kind of made uh, an executive decision, which is great when you're the only one that does the uh, does the charting to not chart those, pl- not chart like the Curtis Samuel types, because uh, after charting Braxton Miller last year, it was like I just got like a lot of inconclusive data back, which I, I think you should expect from a player like that that is, you know, just not necessarily running a lot of traditional routes. Um, so I just to think the, the data wouldn't have been all that conclusive. So I don't, I don't have too many like takes on Samuel as a wide receiver, but what I do know is that in Carolina, they want to use him, you know, they want him to sort of be their pseudo slot receiver slash deep threat. Um, and I think they obviously have a, a, a need for both of those. I've talked for, for years being someone that has been, I'm just going to say, tied to the Panthers uh, I will not say fan um <laughs> in in like that they have just con- they need like uh they needed a player to give Cam Newton these layups you know he's never had anybody that's made life easier on him which you know I know there's a lot of talk about his completion percentage on short throws and all that sort of stuff but I mean just look at the guys they've had over the last like three years who the hell are you throwing to uh, like in terms of the wide receivers, the running backs that gives you a lot of confidence on those passes. So, you know, I think they need a high value slot receiver, somebody to separate early in routes. And I think they want Curtis Samuel to be that guy along with Christian McCaffrey kind of shouldering the bulk of the load there in terms of those short passes. But when it comes to Curtis or when it comes to Kelvin Benjamin or Devin Funches, I mean, there's no way of getting around it. Kelvin Benjamin was, was really bad last year. Um, Calvin Benjamin's success rate versus man coverage fell by 7.8% from 2014 to 2016. And his press coverage success rate fell by 24% in, in his reception perception sample from his rookie year to his third year, um, which obviously was his second year playing because the ACL injury. So Benjamin was bad last year. Um, you know, also you can't stay off Twitter too, too long without getting some Kelvin Benjamin fat jokes now, which if you listen to my, my <laughs> fantasy hipsters podcast, I've had about enough of, <laughs> um, because people aren't very creative, but who knows what's going to happen with Benjamin this year, but they do, they do, I guess still need him because Funches has shown pretty much nothing as an NFL player. Like, yeah, there's been some splash moments, but they've never shown like any inclination to get him off the, get him on the field. I mean, even last year they were calling him like the MVP of training camp, the MVP of the off season, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, right as the game start, he's playing behind Ted Ginn and, and Corey Brown. So who knows? I, I haven't looked at Funches this second season yet. That's something I'm going to do now that the top 50 guys are, are in order for the ultimate draft kit. But I do think, I even said this time last year, like I was not buying in on the Funches hype at all last year, but I said if there was going to be a year for him, 2017 uh, would be it because, you know, they still have more questions and answers in that pass catching core. When it's all said and done, I wouldn't be shocked if Christian McCaffrey was a true slot receiver on a lot of downs with Stewart at running back, McCaffrey in the slot, and, you know, Funches and Benjamin out there. I, I don't trust Samuel to come in and do that immediately. Um, 
Quick question for you, Ryan. Is Funchess like dirt cheap right now? Because I still have a little bit of hope for him at a, at a massive discount rate. Yeah, he's one of those, you know, I've called him roster cloggers and other people have called him that too. He's he's probably mm-hmm. in that range now. I haven't seen him dropped in any of my leagues, uh, though, though most of my leagues have pretty large rosters. Uh, so I haven't seen him hit the waiver wire, but uh, I mean, he's he's worth a third round rookie pick or less. I will say that. Okay. Uh, Matt, let's finish up today with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of course, Mike Evans is is the man there. Uh, they also still have Humphreys from last year, but they brought in Deshaun Jackson as a free agent, and then they drafted Chris Godwin, who I know was one of your favorite players pre-draft. I'm, I'm wondering what you think of the Godwin landing spot and also how you see uh, Jackson affecting Jameis Winston and really that entire offense. Yeah, so uh, in terms of Chris Godwin, I think you could have definitely imagined like a better fantasy landing spot for him for immediate impact. Um, I loved Chris Godwin as a prospect. He had the best contested catch conversion rate I've charted over the last two years. Um, he was successful at getting separation on all levels of the field, you know, on the post route, the slant route, the you know, anything you could talk about. I mean, he was he was really successful and was great against man coverage and even was pretty solid after the catch. So he was one of my favorite receivers. Also, it was great that he was young, productive, and smashed the combine as well, too. Um, and, and I know, uh, like Ross Tucker's talked about on the Fantasy Feast podcast about how a lot of even some of the coaches there just raved about his work ethic. And, you know, it, he's definitely someone that, like like I said, has it all, checks all the boxes. So I think I'm, I'm still definitely optimistic about him in the future, especially as Deshaun Jackson kind of ages and, you know, eventually moves on from there. Um, you know, Mike Evans, to me, is a fascinating player for, for 2017 fantasy because a lot of people are starting to take him in the first round of redraft leagues. You know, some even take him, we'll say they'll take him over Odell Beckham in Dynasty and – and I think the one problem there is like, while I agree that Mike Evans as an NFL player has graduated into the low end of the top tier wide receivers in the NFL, I, I think, like I said, his, his reception perception is fantastic. He has above average success rate versus coverage score on every route on the route tree. So nothing I'm saying is denigrating him as a player. He's awesome. He's someone I've always been high on, but it, for this year, like, is he going to see, you know, 170 targets again? Because I think we always kind of tell ourselves like, oh, bringing in new players is good because it dictates coverage differently. And, and Jackson is the ultimate coverage dictator, but more bodies to get the football generally just means bad things for one player. I mean, we saw that with Julio Jones last year, who saw his targets really dip back um, and became a little bit unpredictable week to week as a result. So I could easily see that being the case with with Jackson this year on an offense that, while they have a bevy of pass catching options, including two tight ends now that I think they're going to see the field a lot, they still probably want to be uh, a, a at least run leaning offense, maybe not a run based offense, but um, I could easily tell myself a story where, where Evans finishes outside the top five receivers this year. That wouldn't shock me. And it has nothing to do with him. It just has more to do with the structure of Tampa Bay's offense now. I got one more guy I'd like to ask about. And it's somebody that we've been touting on the show for months now, basically since the season ended as buy low on him, go get John Brown. And I think it's gotten to the point you can't do that anymore. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, he's at a career crossroads, free agency. I think you look at last year and basically just throw it away because of all the things he dealt with. Are, are you a fan, Matt? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I've been I, the big, big John Brown fan. <laughs> For forever. I mean, uh, I, I've been high on Brown for since I looked at his rookie year. Um, his 2015 data was 
outstanding. I mean, was on a clear upward trajectory for me. And then, you know, you mentioned last year, literally everything went wrong. I mean, he had the concussion in the preseason, which Arian said, like, right. he just missed way too much time, which is weird because he wasn't like one of these Jordan Reed guys that had like a long history of documented concussions. Um, but he missed a long period of time with that. So he came in kind of behind the eight ball. Then he had, you know, the sickle cell trait. He also had a cyst in his spine or whatever. I mean, just all kinds of things went wrong that they obviously, you know, he's even said in interviews, like he was fatigued. He just couldn't, just could not push his body to the maximum of what you need to be an NFL player. And even still his reception perception data was, was not like a disaster last year when he was on the field. Um, He's in the ultimate draft kit as well. Like his success rates are all down. Um, from what he was as a 2015 asset, which, like I mentioned, you know, 76% success rate versus man coverage. That's that's inside the 90th percentile that for, from his 2015 data. So, yeah, yeah, still huge on John Brown. Um, I, I think he all reports are positive, which hopefully they remain positive in terms of his health because there's a bevy of opportunity there in the Arizona wide receiver core. Uh, if the, if this is or is not Larry Fitzgerald's last year. They really don't have anybody else on the roster outside of their third-round pick this year that I think could potentially be a starting outside receiver. Matt, as we wrap up today, who is one wide receiver, and it could be somebody we've talked about today or or not, uh, who's one wide receiver kind of under the radar uh, that you would suggest all dynasty players aggressively look to add to their teams? Well, I don't think this is necessarily under the radar, especially if you're familiar with me um and and my work the last couple of years but that's Willie Sneed um I mean he's awesome for one he's a great player um he's succeeded now in his two NFL seasons not only has he been pretty productive given the amount of targets he's gotten you know as a undrafted free agent but he's also succeeded in two separate roles you know in his 2015 season which was like his de facto rookie year despite being a UDFA in 2014 he was a uh, pretty much played like he played a little bit inside, but also was mostly a flanker kind of in that Michael Crabtree vein. And even then his success rate versus coverage scores were pretty positive. But this year as a slot receiver, kind of as, as people expected Michael Thomas to be that interior player, um, he was the one who shifted inside instead. And he was the only receiver that I charted this year that finished above the NFL average in success rate versus coverage on every single route on the route tree. So when you look at his route tree, in the ultimate draft kit, you'll see all greens there for, for Willie Sneed. And, and that's kind of how I feel about him is all green, all systems go for, for Willie Sneed this year because it's hard to tell the story about, you know, how he's not the number two target there now that Brandon Cooks has gone. And, and I, I talked about how much I love Michael Thomas and I'm completely in on him. Um, but, you know, this is an offense that does spread the football around. And I think Sneed is going to have his big weeks. And also has a pretty safe season-long floor, and and I I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being a valuable long-term uh, long-term player for them too. So, I think Snead's really in line for for a breakout year this year, and I think they eventually probably want to extend his contract as well because, like I said, he's not only been productive through two years, but it's been in two different roles, showing off a little bit of versatility. What are you paying for him in rookie picks? Late first. I'm like the wrong person to ask about this because I just, I, yeah, I, you're buying heavy. I just, I have no, I, well, for one, yeah, I'm, I'm biased and I'm, I'm, I would buy heavy, but uh, you know, he's so definitely someone that I would, uh, I would 
I would pay a first round pick for him. And, and I think a late first is, is more than fair. He and he and Cameron Meredith are the two guys that I really like as like breakout wide, like guys that have been productive before, but really take the next step this year. So I guess if you want another player, Meredith is, an, is one. Yeah, Matt, when you're, uh, I guess, comparing to rookie value, uh, you know, John Ross is going that seven, eight, nine range. Juju Smith is going kind of nine, 10, 11, 12 range. Uh, you'd rather have Sneed than both of those guys. Mm, Ross is tough, but I mean, I just feel better about Sneed's role this year than either one of those guys. And he's also still young himself. You know, I mean, that's the thing I think we'd, you know, like he's into his third, like his, again, technically this will be his third NFL season or whatever, but he's still very young. He's in a great offense. And like, we already know what his role is. We already know he can be good where there's just so much unknown with those rookies. And, um, you know, yeah. So I, I think I would take Snead over both of them, even though Ross is, is a tough one to say. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, before we uh, call it a show, tell all our listeners where they can find your work, especially one more time for that ultimate draft kit. Yeah, we'll, we'll say it as many more times as you'd like. Uh, you can find all, all my work, uh, <laughs> NFL.com slash Harmon. Uh, and definitely the, the thing I'm promoting the, roast, the most right now is the ultimate draft kit, which uh, is, like I said, is really the culmination of an off season's worth of work. And like, it's not even done yet because you're going to get these 50 guys that I've already charted in terms of the NFL players. Um, but I mean, there's so many, like, as soon as I finished up that list, I'm like, well, all right, let me give myself a week off to catch up on all my television shows. But there are guys like Brashad Perryman, uh, Sterling Shepard, like guys like Malcolm Mitchell we talked about, players that I, I'm still really excited to look at. So I'm going to be adding more data as the as the preseason rolls on here. Um, and you can buy that at receptionperception.com. There's the link there to check it out. I promise you will not be disappointed. In fact, you will probably even be a little bit overwhelmed at first with all the data you're about to get with all these wide receivers, more than you ever possibly thought you needed to know. Can't wait to get my hands on it. That's very cool. All right. Thanks again, Matt. We'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint.